Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in 1 Thessalonians. In this book, Paul celebrates a church that is flourishing despite persecution, and he encourages them with the hope we have in the return of Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. So this was commendable for them. And this was the heart of the church in Thessalonica. Their eyes were on Christ. Their eyes were on. They were longing for him to come. And after Paul left them, though, as troubles began to descend upon them, they began to have a lot of questions. And that's fair. They began to have a lot of concerns, a lot of confusion about it all, persecution setting in. And and Paul begins here by addressing one of the greatest points of confusion that was raising concerns among them. And here's the confusion. What happens to those who die before Jesus comes back for his people? See, they, they believed with all their heart he was coming for them in their lifetime. Another issue that people say, well, Jesus always promised, you know, believers have always believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Well, yeah, because he wanted us to expect his return. He wanted every generation to expect his return. But just because every generation believed in his return and it didn't happen doesn't mean it's not going to happen one day. It is. There will be a generation Maybe us. I'd like it to be us. But if it's not, maybe it's my grandkids' generation. I think it's all of us. But they're confused. They don't get this. What happens to those people that we love who've died before this day comes? Are they dead and gone? Do they miss out on eternal life? Do they miss out on the victory that he's promised to give those who are still alive when he physically comes to rescue his people? You know, to to those of us who've been in Christ for any length of time, that kind of thinking seems silly to us. I doubt that there are any of us who don't understand that death does not keep us from the presence of the Lord. Uh, you know, but it's, it's not a silly thing to folks like the Thessalonians who are young in their faith. They're just coming to understand these things. Persecution is crashing in on them. It's, it's making their difficult, you know, their lives difficult in the midst of their growing and to come, you know, like Paul to come and spend time with them, helping them to grow. Somebody wasn't there to do that in this interim period. You know, he's sending Timothy back to him, but he couldn't come. And so a lot of questions have come. And yet I got to tell you, having pastored now for almost, you know, almost 18 years, the one thing I found is there are no silly points of confusion is amazing. The kind of confusion. And I don't say that laughingly or jokingly, but you'd be surprised at very rudimentary questions that people ask that my heart just breaks for them. It's like, I can see the fear, the sadness in their lives over something very simple. One of the things is actually used in this verse because Paul talks to that word sleep. And, and I can't tell you the number of Christians who've come to me and said, but it talks about sleep in the scriptures. Does that mean when we die, we just kind of lay dormant in the grave? And of course, in the mind is the cold, dank, dark grave. How am I getting out of the box? You know, I'm stuck in there. And what happens? You know, a lot of people ask me if it means that their saved loved ones or a friend who died is asleep in those places. They're going to be there. And it gets even more confused when they hear cultic groups like the Mormons use scriptures like this to teach the idea of soul sleep. And the Mormons teach that, that the soul sleeps. The Bible makes perfectly clear that the moment of death, at the moment of death, the soul of a human being rises immediately into the presence of God, immediately into the presence of God, and remains there until the day that we're joined again to our physical bodies, which are lying dormant in the grave, okay, which are lying dormant in the grave, 
I mean, think about all the scriptures. We're not going to read them all, but I mean, you, you know, Luke 16, there's the story of, uh, of talking about um, the rich man, you know, and, and Jesus is, is talking to him that, uh, you know, Lazarus, you know, who had died and, and all of that. And he's just relating to them on this, but he's making clear in that parable that they were alive. They, they weren't dead. They were alive. We find statements like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, where he says, we are confident, yes, we are well pleased to be absent from the body. He doesn't say, and later to be present with the Lord. He says, and to be present with the Lord. It's immediate. In, in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if we live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul says, I have a desire to depart and lay in the grave until Jesus calls me. No. He says, I desire to part and be present with Jesus now. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 15, goes on, it says this, Revelation 7, 15, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the lamb who is in their midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I know we love to apply that to us, but here he's talking about a group of people who die in the midst of the horrific judgment that's taking place, who've come to faith in Christ during that period of judgment. Their bodies are not laying. Yeah, their bodies are in the grave, but their souls are not in the grave. Listen, nowhere does the Bible teach the concept of soul sleep. When the Bible uses the term sleep, it is in the context of death in regard to the physical body which remains in the grave until he calls it up, as he's going to talk about in a moment. But, but that's the concern of the Thessalonians, which Paul is addressing. And it's the issue that they're concerned about. But it's this idea of, of, of what's going to happen. You know, what's going to happen to these people who've died? They're confused. It's a question that Paul goes on to answer and to give hope. Look what he says next. He says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Paul quickly and he definitively addresses their worries and their concerns by simply saying, hey, no need to sorrow, no need to lose hope, no need to worry. It's all good. If they place their faith in Christ, you can rest assured that they will not miss out on anything because they will be included in the final resurrection that Jesus will bring when he returns for his people. And take heart, because the proof of Jesus' resurrection power for the believer is found in his own resurrection. He has proved to us that he has power over death. And just like the mantra among soldiers, I think of this, you know, no man left behind. That's exactly what this is. No, no one left behind in Christ. All come home. All come home. The living and the dead alike. So too, Paul makes that promise to the Thessalonians. This is the real hope for all of us. This is the real hope for us. We're going to overcome death. And we're going to live because Jesus overcome came death. And he lives. And as we place our faith in him, he promises to bring his resurrection power to our souls now immediately upon death. I mean, immediately upon salvation, he's already brought life to us, right? That's the part of us that isn't going to die anymore. 
That, that's the part that's, that's missing the second death, right? That soul has already been, been revitalized to eternal life. We began eternal life not when we crossed the threshold of death. We entered into eternal life the day we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the soul will continue to live, but he goes on to that. Even though our human bodies hasn't reached that place yet, our human bodies are still decaying. They're still going into the grave, but that, one day that's all going to change. That's all going to change. And our bodies are going to catch up and our bodies are going to be resurrected. You know, there are, there are groups out there that would teach that, that the body is bad and that the existence that we will have one day in God's presence will only be a spiritual presence. The Bible counters that and says, you know what? Yep, the body has gotten corrupted, but God is going to uncorrupt it just like he's uncorrupted our souls. And we will have a physical existence one day in his presence. Though we may be in soul and spirit right now in his presence when we die, one day there will be this moment in time when our bodies will physically be resurrected. And in that day, we'll all have the same hope that was given in Revelation 21, verse 4, in these bodies. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And we will all say what? Amen. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, these bodies, they do wear us down. They hold us back in so many ways. You know, they just do. And the older we get, the more they hold us back. I said, I go to the gym all the time. And when I get in there, it's getting rougher and rougher by the day, you know? But one day, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in this regard, the believers who've died, the soul's already experiencing these things. But as Paul says here, one day, all aspects of the believer going to enjoy this, both body and soul. And he's giving them assurance of this. And then he goes on and he says this, verse 15, for if this we say to you by the word of the Lord, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, Paul makes clear the promise he's making to them now isn't something he's come up with on his own. He's, he's telling them that this is what the Lord said. Again, you can't trust in the words of men, but you can trust in the word of the Lord because his, his word's going to go on forever. But Paul goes on to give the promise that, that God says you can bank on. He says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Paul gives a twofold promise in this verse. Number one, he promises that Jesus will be coming for those who are alive to take us with him. There will be a generation in which Jesus will come for those who are alive, just as 1 Corinthians 15 described, and in the twinkling of an eye, boom going to take him up. And secondly, he promises that he will also be coming to complete the resurrection of those believers who died before this moment came by resurrecting their physical bodies from the grave. In fact, he says that he will call them up first. He'll call them up first. We won't precede them, he says, in this call for us to join him, but their bodies will be called up first. In that miraculous event, the souls of those believers who had died before this moment came, whose souls have been kept alive fully in the presence of Jesus in heaven, will be rejoined with their physical bodies once more, which will be rising in this transformational process in which the corruption of their original bodies will be uncorrupted. Corruption will put on incorruption in that moment. They'll be changed and will be changed as we rise in the same way. You know, the old song, some glad morning when this life is over. I'd like to say some glad morning when the rapture happens, I'll fly away. We will fly away physically, you see. 
And that's what Paul's saying. And then he goes on in verse 16. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Wow. Three important things he tells us. that's going to accompany this awesome moment. Number one, the Lord himself will descend. It's important to note that his descending does not mean that he will descend physically to the planet itself yet. Because if he descended physically to the planet, then why would he say that we're going to rise up to meet him in the air? All he's doing is he's descending to a certain point in the air so that he can then call us up to be with him. You see, now I point that out to you because those who reject the concept of the rapture will be quick to say that the scriptures only speak of Jesus returning in terms of his physical return to the earth itself. They argue that nowhere in the scriptures does it speak anywhere of this two stage process of his return and that there's really only one stage spoken of. And that's when he physically sets foot back on this planet. And yet right here in plain language, we find that that's not the case in plain plain language. Yeah, the scriptures do speak of a day when Christ will physically set foot, you know, on this planet again. You can look at those in Zechariah 14 talks about it. Revelation 19 talks about it. Revelation 20 talks about it. And there's more passages that speak of it. But that return is about his physical return to the earth after judgment to ultimately take control of the earth itself. While here, Paul is speaking about Jesus's return to do what? To remove his people from the earth before judgment comes. And that's the key to distinguishing between these two related yet yet separate events. When he returns for his church, we go up. But when he returns to judge the earth and to take his place on the earth, he comes down. You see, it's all about the purpose and it's it's clearly revealed in the context and the language itself. Secondly, in addition to descending to call us to himself, he will shout He will shout, and although it doesn't specifically tell us what he's going to shout, we can assume based on the account of the rapture of the two end-time witnesses that we looked at in Revelation 11 and and the experience in Revelation 4, which foreshadowed the rapture that John had, we can pretty much be sure that he isn't going to be yelling, hey, what you guys doing down there? You know, but he's instead going to be saying what? Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. Third, he says he's going to come with the voice of an archangel. Now, some take that to mean that Jesus will shout his call to us to come up with the same authority as that of an archangel who heralds God's word to people. I simply see it for what it seems to imply, that it'll be accompanied by an archangel who will be echoing his call or simply uttering praise of him as he's proclaiming us to come up into the clouds to meet him. And then fourth, he says, the trumpet of God will sound. Now, we're going to talk more about the trumpets as we get to the discussion of the timing of the rapture. I'll save most of it for there when we get to 2 Thessalonians. But a lot of people confuse the trumpet that's spoken of here with other references to trumpets, and it leads to what I believe are some erroneous views in regard to when the rapture actually occurs. Before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, we'll talk about it later. But for now, just suffice it to say that when this moment comes, there's going to be the blast of a trumpet. It's going to be the blast of a trumpet. You know, many times, and it's just truth, I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've been surprised by a horn, and it's like, he's coming, he's coming. We live near the quarry, and and sometimes they will blow something over there, and I hear it go, and it's like, 
the rapture's about to happen. You know, trust me, when it happens, it's going to be instantaneous. It'll be instantaneous. He goes on, he says in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of, trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Come fly with me, come fly, come fly away, right? Now, that's Frank Sinatra, that's not Jesus in Bible, but the truth is when that moment comes, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to happen. In fact, you know, I almost posted a picture in, in preparation for today. You remember the old one of the cars driving in the city and they're going off the embankments and crazy? It's pretty tragic. But, you know, to think of what will happen in this world, but it shows the bodies kind of going up. You know, I got to tell you, I'm not sure that's a good depiction just because it's so instantaneous in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, that, that, that's like milliseconds. It's not even going to show the vapor trails. It's just transformational in that moment, you know. But that's what he promises. And then he says this in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Paul says that what he shared with them should not scare them. It should not create anxiety in them. But it's something meant for them to take comfort in personally, but also to comfort one another with a discussion about these things. And, and they can find comfort to all their fears. They can find comfort about the hard things that they're going through. They can find comfort about the confusion and the concerns they had over their deceased loved ones who knew the Lord, but who had died before this event took place. They can find comfort. They could find this comfort in all of these things because this is a promise that God has made. And one day it will come to pass. Yeah, we all have hope that our souls will depart. You know, we already have that hope, that knowledge that our souls will depart to be with Jesus when we die. But God wants us to have an even greater hope. He wants us to have hope that, that we could be the generation, that this moment that he's speaking of here in the scriptures could happen in our lifetime, that we could hear it. And just like that, woke you up, didn't I? Woke you up. Some, some of you are going to wake up when he shouts, come up here, you know, huh? <laughs> Wow, I'm in the presence of Jesus, you know. But we can have hope. And he wants us to have that hope. He wants us to have that expectation at any moment in time. Yeah, while you're on the job. Yeah, while you're, while you're facing the difficulty in your life. Yeah, when your life is even good. That in that moment, you could be called up into his presence in life. If it was bad, it's going to get really good. And if it was already good, it's going to get even better in that moment. Because all of this will be over. All of this will be over. And I know you're saying, when are you going to get this over with, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> now tell me you don't find comfort in that. I mean, tell me that you don't find comfort in that because it's there. And, 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 but the comfort we find is in the whole plan of God. It's not just, I find comfort in the knowledge that he has already saved me, that, that he's done this work for me, just like we celebrated this morning. But you know what? The comfort that I take is in his whole plan of redemption, everything, right down to my physical body, that if I were to die, that there will come a day when he will resurrect this body. And oh, by the way, for those of you that struggle with the idea of, and I'm not endorsing one way or another, but people ask me all the time, well, does, you know, is it, is it sin to be cremated? You know, well, why do you think it might be sin? Well, because how could God call your body back? Gee, he made you out of the dust. 
You know, he made the first man out of the dust. You don't think he knows where every single piece of DNA and particle that exists for every human being on this planet? He knows the numbers of the hairs on your heads, right? <laughs> Not mine. I don't have many for him to count anymore. He knows these things. He knows when the sparrow falls. You don't think he knows where your where your your elements are when they go back to the dust? And that's not endorsement to say be cremated, not to do that. But I'm just saying that in that moment of time, I'm telling you, it's all coming together. Com- the sea will give up the dead. Do, do you think that the bodies that are laying in the sea are like those in the grave or the bone? They're shark bait. You know, they're shark bait. They've decomposed a long time ago, but God knows where they are, and he'll pull them back together right out of the elements of the earth, and he will reform. He will reform. And the awesome part is, it will still be the same people, will still be the same bodies, and yet they'll be so different. Like Jesus. They knew him, but they didn't at first. Because he was in that glorified state. We will have a glorified state in that day. Tell me you don't find hope in that. But tell me you don't have hope in the whole plan that in your lifetime that this could happen. And if it doesn't, we've lost nothing. We hope for it for the generation that follows us. But the hope and the expectation that he could come for us at any moment in time is one that I live with, think about continually. And I hope you do too. And I truly believe that that's why the concept of the rapture is so increasingly being attacked today. Why Christian groups, not talking about non-Christian groups. Non-Christians just laugh at this kind of stuff, you know, but they laugh at lots of stuff that you and I believe. They think we're fools anyways. Until they come to know Christ too, I used to be one of those that laughed, and I laugh no more, you know, because I traded that foolishness. But in the process, I'm talking about the Christian groups that are attacking a concept like this. Look, I have no problem if you don't want to believe it. It's okay. You're still going up too right? There is no partial. We're all going to go. And I'm going to show you some neat verses next week when we get in chapter five, that's just going to give you great assurance all the way around for your life personally, if you place your faith in Christ. But I'm just going to tell you this. It doesn't matter if you don't want to believe it. That's okay. What I'm bothered by is this incessant attack that now is going up that is trying to minimize this concept in the minds of believers. And I believe that people don't even realize why they're doing it. I think it's the enemy himself who's trying to undermine the confidence and the hope that Paul clearly says, this is to hold for all of us, that we're to have this hope. So my counsel to you is, don't give ear to any of it. Look at what your Bible says and take your stand upon that. Oh, it's, it just seems impossible. Remember, all things are possible with God, right? All things are possible. If he said it and he's promised it, there will come a day when he will do it. Amen? Let me do this and then we're going to end. He goes on and he says this in the very next verse. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Many people continue on to chapter 5 thinking Paul's talking about the same thing, but he's not. He's just shifted topic. In fact, you know he shifted topic because what does he say? You have no need that I should write to you about this. So he's clearly shifted a topic to something that they already knew about. He's no longer talking about the rapture of the church, which they were confused about. He's about to talk about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord in the scriptures is associated with, anybody know? Judgment. His coming, but ultimately his judgment upon this earth. He's dealt with the rapture, and now he's moving to judgment. Do you see a pattern and a timing to this? Rapture, day of the Lord. Rapture, 
judgment, right? I believe there's a clear timing to this, and he's going to talk about it. But I point this out to you this week because I'm going to tell you that this term here, the day of the Lord, if you don't understand that that's what he's talking about, you're going to get really confused when you get to Second Thessalonians and you begin to look at this because there's a similar term that Paul will use that will be related to this that a lot of people look at and say, well, we are going to go into the tribulation because it clearly tells us that here. If you begin to understand this language, it will clear that up for you and you will see the timeline of things much clearer. And again, I don't mean a timeline like August 25th, 19, you know, 2018. I mean the timeline of the plan in which God will unfold these events. I am a firm believer, and I will tip you off if you don't know it already. There is a rapture that will take place before judgment comes. And I believe that that judgment is a seven-year period of time that will take place on this earth, and we will be gone before that happens. There is nothing, nothing that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen today. Not one thing. The only thing that keeps the rapture from happening today, anybody know what that is? God's mercy. God's mercy, because he desires that none would perish, but that all would come to that saving knowledge of him. So he's patient. But Peter warns us, don't mistake his patience for complacency, because it's not. He has his time. No man knows the day or the hour, but the Father knows. The Father knows. He has that date already picked. It ain't a sliding date. He's got it marked. There is a point in history when this will take place. But in the meantime, there's nothing that needs to to take place before this. It's coming. It's coming. Not in, not today, then tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, the day after, not the day after, then the day after that, not this year, the next year, but it's going to come, and there will be a generation that may scoff at it, but it's going to happen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.